we identified and, and reconnected around the idea that climate change has reached a, a tipping point um, such that, you know, urgent action uh, is, is imperative. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Series 4 of the Climate Pioneers Show. This is a show where we speak to the innovators, the change makers, and the enablers that are driving forward the climate industry. But now we're back for Series 4, our first US-focused series, featuring the stories of climate tech innovators on the East Coast of the US. Throughout the course of the series, we'll be learning about the important work that they're doing to combat the climate crisis, and we're going to dig into what inspired them to take action in the first place. We'll learn about the challenges they faced in the first few years of business, um, and most importantly, we're going to get their tips, their tips and their recommendations on the communities and organisations that have helped them along the way, the books and podcasts that they recommend, and what productivity hacks they use to manage their workload. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Chris Klusner, co-founder and CEO of Matcha Electric. Launched in November 2022, Matcha is the EV charging solution for apartment buildings, creating, installing and managing EV charging infrastructure for shared use amongst tenants. And Chris himself has had an interesting career journey across marketing, consulting, sales and partnerships, largely focused on consumer insights and has worked in a wide range of environments from huge consulting firms like Deloitte to tech startups, scale ups and and actually has founded, I think, three now of his own businesses, Matcha being the most recent. So I'm really looking forward to hearing how those experiences have informed the decisions he's made um, and learn more about the world of EV charging. So, Chris, thank you for joining me. Of course, happy to be here. And so are you happy to kick off by just telling us more about Matcha? What, what's the problem space that you identified and how is the solution that you're building addressing that? Absolutely. Yeah, so Matcha is a turnkey electric vehicle charging solution for apartments. Mm-hmm. What that means is we provide the connected hardware to allow folks to charge their cars, but pair that with the management software necessary for sharing chargers uh, where folks have the same meter that they're sharing. Uh, So uniquely apartments have a special consideration unlike charging your car at home in a single family home where you're the only one using the charger that makes it substantially easier. Renters, however, have it quite a bit uh, more difficult. So we partner with apartment building owners to make the whole experience of Uh, choosing the hardware, provisioning the software, managing the billing, and keeping them maintained so they stay running, we make this whole thing turnkey. Uh, Really, we're addressing and we're on a mission to support renters. It's really how we think about the company uh, as a mission-driven organization to help renters to drive electric if they'd like to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and how does it differ in terms of problem to sort of public charging infrastructure and why why do public chargers not adequately address that issue? Yeah, fundamentally public charging is designed where anyone can drive up and use the equipment. Um, private access chargers have some different considerations where mm-hmm. there's a building owner, a property manager that seeks to control access uh, and limit that access to tenants and guests, mm-hmm. whereas public charging is first come first serve. And so fundamentally, uh, private access charging has a different set of considerations and requirements 
that public access charging doesn't cater to. Right. I see. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for explaining that. And so taking it back to the beginning, as I as I mentioned, this is your third business, right, that, that you founded. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. I've uh, always been uh, quite entrepreneurial, you know, even as early as uh, as a kid. Um, but really, uh, I'm happy to wind it back and talk about yeah. the the origin stories, if that's uh, yeah. Talk me through the journey that. because it's an interesting one. As I was kind of researching for today's episode and reading that through, I thought, yeah, that the, to see somebody that's traversed both kind of entrepreneurialism and launching three businesses with that big consulting world and and that journey that you've been on is really interesting. If you're happy to share some of that with us. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start sort of uh, the most recent and most relevant background is I spent a number of years at Deloitte in their future of work and future mobility practices, doing strategy consulting for big Fortune 500s to really help them think about the future and how digital technologies, but also things like climate change will impact and, and change their business. Uh, and I also spent a, a number of years building sales teams and venture-backed startups. So that was what I was doing most recently, but you know, winding it back uh, to the early days, um, I grew up in New York in a little coastal beach community, sort of like the Hamptons, but not quite as fancy, uh, <laughs> but very prone to flood risk uh, and sea level rise. And so even from like a very early age, I was acutely aware of how climate change impacts real people in real life. Uh, and it, it's not this sort of uh, political issue that uh, you know needs to be um, argued over. It's it's like oh the the water's coming, uh, and you know so even as an as a kid I had direct exposure to that, um, and I worked uh, in that industry. So as a kid, my kind of college and high school job was uh, working with the local municipality on uh, conservation uh, and home energy efficiency programs. So even in my like late teens and, and college years, I got direct exposure to you know climate tech 101 or you know the the and you know OG climate tech uh, <laughs> if you will, uh, and I had no uh, conceived notions that this could be uh, a, a category I would build in in the future. I saw this as sort of something to make some money as a kid and then go work in tech. Right. And, and how uh, different, sorry to interject, but how, yeah. how different was the space then? You sort of say climate, you know, OG, climate 1.0, right? Yeah. Way different to how we're all thinking and feeling about it now. What? How How different is it today in terms of attitudes, acceptance, urgency compared to then? I mean, just fundamentally, it, it was just really not sexy. You know, it was municipal work, state uh, and local programs, largely funded by public sector organizations, uh, but very similar to the work that's going on now, funded by venture-backed startups and accelerated by tech companies. So I think the big difference was a lack of urgency. Uh, mm -hmm. And a lack of private sector investment into companies working on climate. Um, so, in particular, um, my work, you know, back way back when, was home residential home energy efficiency. Yeah. So, helping with the issue of you know sealing up a single family home, weather sealing, uh, you know, air sealing, weather sealing, insulation, that sort of stuff, um, which has become very much mainstream now. Uh, and there's some really exciting. Uh, venture back companies building in that space because it's a huge problem. Uh, but it's been a known problem for decades. 
Um, and so, you know, like EV charging, which even was around way back then, I think mm. we've just got a lot more uh, urgency and a lot more interest, including private sector interest in those categories now. Yeah. 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 Okay, fair enough. Yeah, so, so yeah. I stopped yeah. you mid-flow. Carry on. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's uh, I mean, it was like I said, I I had no um idea way back then that this would be a category that I would launch something in. Um, but you know, went uh, had that experience as a kid. Went back to business school, uh, got my MBA, and met my now co-founder. Um, that was that was 10 years ago. So just to kind of uh, sequence that. So, you know, 10 years ago, um, I became a renter, right? During right. business school, my co-founder and I lived together as renters and sort of experienced the problem we're working on now firsthand, which is as a renter, you really have zero power to be able to uh, retrofit your property to address climate action, whether that's how you heat and cool your house, whether that's how efficient the building is or where we focus um, how you charge your electric vehicle. Um, And so way back then, you know, as a renter, um, unable to get an EV because you couldn't get the property owner to put in an EV charger. It was too expensive, really wasn't a thing back then. Um, And so that was the lived experience that my co-founder and I reconnected on uh, late last year to launch the business. Um, I'll share quickly um, by way of his background. He was a, a second time founder as well from the mobility space. My co-founder, John, um, he launched a smart bike share program uh, in California in the early 2000s, uh, a number of years before City Bike and Blue Bike and these programs existed. Um, he was a PwC guy uh, for a number of years. So um, I at Deloitte, he at PwC. Um, so after business school, we went that corporate route. But COVID was the accelerant that brought us back together. Uh, we identified and, and reconnected around the idea that climate change has reached a, a tipping point um, such that, you know, urgent action uh, is, is imperative, yeah. uh, but also that climate change is, that's not necessarily how we think about matcha and what we're building. Mm-hmm. Um, we think about what we're building as a way to unlock demand from renters and help right renters to choose an electric vehicle if, if they would like to. It just so happens to support climate action. Um, so, you know, we're a climate company, but uh, it's not it's not necessarily tied directly to our identity. Um, mm-hmm. We are focused on helping renters to um, get access to the same things that everybody else has access to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, and I say this time and time again, but I think they're often the most effective solutions are the ones where climate, a positive climate outcome is a byproduct of something else that's beneficial, right? Whether that makes something more accessible, more convenient, more cost-effective, and also is better for the planet. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because it's kind of how we got into this mess. Nobody went out to purposefully destroy the planet or the climate. That was a byproduct of us doing all those other things. Um, So, yeah, yeah. Um, And... Talk me through where that kind of decision point came. Like where where did you and your co-founder have that conversation where you thought, right, the time's now? How did you know the time was right? Yeah, the, the short answer is testing. Um, right. So really, as you mentioned, my background over the years, including at Deloitte and at the venture back startup where I, I ran the strategic partnerships team, my expertise is in 
uh, consumer insights, yeah. um, B2B and B2C consumer insights. And so testing and learning from customers is really the ethos of um, how I think about the world from an entrepreneurial perspective, uh, my co-founder as well, and really the methodology that we use to land on the right problem to solve um, mm -hmm. and validate that with, with customers. So um, we actually had quite a number of ideas on the board, if you will, uh, about 30. Uh, and we spent the better part of about a year testing and learning about those different concepts, launching pilots, uh, seeking feedback through user interviews, surveys, sales, uh, MVP level sales. Uh, and what clicked for us was when we, we looked closer at the multifamily apartment EV charging space, what clicked was this perfect storm of unmet renter demand Mm. Um, where, you know, today roughly one in one in six people, uh, are considered EV, um, which is, you know, higher than it's been historically previously one in 20, maybe one in 50, it's about one, one in five or six. Think about getting an EV, um, yet less than 1% of renters have in the U S at least have access to EV charging. So that was point one. Point right. two was in interviewing uh, property owners, the apartment building owners, we recognize that they also are interested in EV charging at their properties to comply with updated laws, to qualify for government incentives, for example, in the US from programs like the Inflation Reduction Act, um, as well as to qualify their properties for LEED certification, which is a building efficiency rating that now takes into account if you have EV charging. Uh, as part of the, the score you get. So the combination of testing with drivers who happen to be renters, testing with property owners, and then looking at the available solutions in the market, that's how we approached launching the business. Um, and as I mentioned, it was one of a number of ideas, but it really hit a chord. Um, and for the first time, we actually started getting, um, you know, really excited follow-up from folks, even through things like cold emails. Uh, right. So that's what gave us the confidence to take the next step and actually launch the business. Amazing. And what does that next step look like? Because it's it's got a physical element to it, right? You build you built a physical charger. How 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 do you get started doing that? And and that's not your background, right? Hardware engineering. Right. Where yeah, how, how do you even start? Yeah. Well, actually, um, I would argue, and you know, there might be some folks out there that work in EV charging on the hardware side that may want to kick me uh, after saying this, but <laughs> EV charging hardware is a commodity. Right. Sorry to say. So we don't make the hardware. We partner with a manufacturer that we've selected from one of the best global OEMs, uh, original equipment manufacturers, to produce our hardware. Um, at the end of the day, they are large, uh, smart plugs. Um, yeah. And so we partnered with an OEM uh, and we're building the proprietary software. And the, so the reason you need software in the first place is because shared multi-tenant chargers, you know, apartments, offices, uh, you have multiple people using the same equipment that mm -hmm. runs on a single meter. And there's not an easy way to split the bill, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, what was a rhyme? <laughs> uh, but no, fundamentally splitting the bill. So being able to assess uh, how much power was consumed by each driver uh, yeah. and process those payments in a way that's simple and automatic uh, yeah. is actually 
a difficult technical challenge uh, because you have varying pricing, you yeah. have varying times of use, mm. you have various rates that each driver might pay. It's, it's kind of a big assumption to assume everyone should pay exactly the same price no matter when they use the equipment. So uh, the software fundamentally handles the payments as well as the payouts. So we partner with the property owners uh, on a revenue split. Uh, and so that's actually how we're able to provide another key part of what makes us unique is we put the chargers in at no cost. So mm -hmm. our chargers are designed for apartments, um, but we put them in at no cost to the property owner uh, and split the revenue from the retail charging. Um, so this is an as-a-service business model that is also novel for this space. Um, mm -hmm. So instead of the way it works typically, which is the building owner buys the equipment, um, sets them up themselves, finds a software provider, finds a maintenance provider, and manages all the payments and operations themselves, that's too hard yeah. and it's too expensive. Yeah. And we validated that. Maybe there, there are absolutely some property owners who want that. Maybe they have a parking garage or maybe they um, have a staff that can operate chargers for them, you know, on site for them. But many property owners prefer a turnkey solution like what mm -hmm. we provide, um, including reducing the need for that huge upfront capital expense, especially in 2023 when interest rates are, are extremely high. And it's just been a bad year for real estate overall. So yeah, the combination of our uh, great reliable hardware that's priced, uh, we think very competitively, with our proprietary software and our novel business model gives us a real leg up uh, to be able to stand out from the pack, uh, even in the multi-tenant charging space. Absolutely, because if you're a home, if you're a property owner and someone's saying, can I install this thing for free that's only gonna be a benefit to you, you'd think, why not? Right, what's what's the downside for them? There yeah, and we, um, you know, especially when you compare that to some of the equipment that's been deployed already out there, and again, this it may be similar in the UK. I'm not as familiar with the charging infrastructure uh, in the UK as of yet, but in the US, there's been some uh, a number of very large equipment-focused companies that have uh, deployed many of their units out there, but without the control over the price that they're mm -hmm. setting, many of the existing legacy equipment loses money for the building owner, meaning that they're not charging enough for the power nor managing the energy uh, more generally such that they're paying more than the revenue that those units are, are generating. Um, and that may have been okay for the first you know, 15 years of adoption of EV charging to encourage innovators and early adopters to, to jump on board. But as EV charging crosses the chasm, as mm -hmm. if you will, that uh, you know, MBA uh, sort of field of study, it's a book, uh, called Crossing the Chasm. I think Jeffrey Moore uh, wrote it, but it essentially says that any technology goes through a bell curve of adoption, a, a, a hump where the first 1% of folks are innovators, the next 5 to 8% are early adopters. But to cross that chasm to early majority, that's where we are with EV charging today. Um, and in order to cross that chasm, building owners can't lose money. Like building owners have to have a viable, at least break even, ideally a, a, an incremental return. Otherwise, they will not invest in this 
component of, of their property infrastructure. So fundamentally, if we can't figure out how to help building owners make money on EV chargers, we will not hit our 2030 net zero goals, period. So that's the problem we're working on really is helping renters by helping landlords to make yeah. money on EV charging. And do they access it? How, what's the kind of usability from a landlord and, and tenant perspective? Do they access through an app? Yep. Yeah. Happy to talk you through the product. Um, so, you know, the chargers themselves, I'll start there. These are level two chargers, not fast mm -hmm. chargers. So that's important to get a sense for how everything fits together with our, our renters focus. So these are level two chargers that give you a six to 10 hour charge time. Okay. So really designed for, uh, all day or all night charging. Um, so the chargers are installed, mounted on a wall or on a pedestal in a parking garage or wherever uh, the apartment renters park. Um, they pull up, they either open our app or use an RFID card we've given them to initiate the charge. They plug in and they go upstairs. Um, the system tracks how much they use and bills them appropriately for that usage plus any dwell time in terms of extra time spent in the parking spot. Um, the property owner can see this all in real time through their management dashboard. So this is a product that we've been building similar to how other EV charging companies provide, but we think ours is optimized for the unique needs of apartment buildings um, in that it provides the property manager, the person who's responsible for uh, tenant satisfaction, renewing leases, keeping tenants staying and, and retained in the building and getting new tenants, it gives them insight into usage of the chargers. Yeah. Again, that sounds very obvious, hmm. but the way it works today, it doesn't provide that. The way it works today for most of the alternative solutions are plugs in the parking lot that have no data shared with the building owner operator. So when there is a problem or a, a maintenance issue or an access issue or someone blocking the spot, the property manager is really somewhat helpless to be able to support their tenants, To especially in a high-end residential building. It creates a lot of friction um, and it reduces uh, retention. Uh, and so we think that is a key problem to solve is to help the property manager to better serve their tenants with an amenity and that means data. That means real-time data. That means data around ESG reporting and how much mm -hmm. how much consumption happened to support the ESG goals of, of some of these large owner and property management companies we support. Um, but that also means tax accounting, right? You have to keep track of how much power was used and if revenue was collected for that power. So again, it seems simple. Seems like this stuff should already exist. But in large part, it's a gray market today. Yeah. Uh, and so we're, we're bringing the, the sunlight, so to speak, into this retail EV charging world with our, with our um, chargers, our driver app, and our management platform. And a year into this now, where, where are you at today? Yeah. Well, I'm happy to share we've uh, gotten out of the lab, so to speak, in terms of our technology readiness level. We're actively out there deploying uh, we deployed earlier this year our first uh, units in Massachusetts. Um, we have more coming in the state of Connecticut. Uh, and largely, we're focused on New England, um, not just because the oysters are good and it's like 
makes for a good holiday photo up here, but it's because the incentives, the demand, uh, and the willingness of the property owners to, to embrace the stuff is, is strong here. Um, and so yeah, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey are the focus states for us looking at 2024. Um, we're actively pursuing a number of pilots, including some really exciting stuff in New York City uh, with the, the New York City Economic Development Council. Uh, we're working on a pilot in Brooklyn. Uh, it's a really cool location there. We're working on our first pilots in the state of Connecticut. Uh, and again, like I mentioned, uh, Massachusetts was our was our home base. We're, we're based here in Boston. Exciting. And is it still just yourself and John at the moment? Or have you yep. got a team around uh, you? Yeah, we've got a, a great team. Um, we have our CTO, Bob, as well. He is mm -hmm. our um, one of our earliest fans. He's an avid EV driver. Um, he brings uh, many, many years, decades of experience in software development and connected hardware uh, from a, a public uh, IOT company uh, in the US. So he's come over to help us really scale the product uh, and make it uh, the best it can be. We're also joined by a lead engineer from Rivian, uh, the EV truck, uh, truck company, which is super exciting to build off of how Rivian deployed their charging network. They've since partnered with Tesla to continue to expand. But taking some of the lessons learned from the earliest Rivian chargers, we're excited to bring that into our wheelhouse. And then we have uh, somewhat of a small army of, of interns and uh, contractor contributors. Exciting. So 2024, what's what's that all about for you? That's about getting as many of these out into the field deployed as possible, getting the pilots running. Yeah, pedal to the metal, uh, so mm. to speak. Uh, and yeah, it's about pilots. It's about growth into across New England. So into Connecticut, Jersey and New York. Um, it's about getting our software approved by the regional utilities uh, okay. in terms of being uh able to be able to have somebody discover us through the various portals and programs that exist out there. So an electrician off the street can, uh, without knowing about matcha or meeting me, can go on and find matcha, discover us through the utility program and deploy our system. So it's, it's all about that. Um, pairing that commercial growth in terms of sales, pilots with team expansion, uh, and naturally with fundraising uh, as we look to continue to grow and accelerate. Um, of course, this equipment and our business model of owning the equipment and operating it on behalf of the owner, it is capital intensive. So we're actively seeking uh, banking partners in the regions we serve. And so we're making some great headway in that uh, in that realm as well. Fantastic. That's yeah. really exciting. Um, and how are you feeling about the kind of regulatory and political environment next year and how are changes on that front either operating in your favor or against you at this point? Yeah, well, it's it's fresh powder today. I mean, the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. has really opened up a huge amount of incentives for uh, a smattering of industries, including EV charging. So there's a ton of investment going into supporting EV charging development in multi-unit dwellings uh, yeah. where we focus. Uh, we hope those stick around as long as we can. But fundamentally, we've built and designed our business model and our customer relationship model so we don't have to rely on incentives. It has to stand alone. Yeah. Um, the incentives are an accelerant. The business needs to operate without incentives and, and 
make money for the property owners without incentives. Um, that said, you know, the EVs have for some reason become somewhat of a cultural, political uh, divide. And we think that uh, is going to be um, replaced. There's plenty of other things to argue about, so to speak. <laughs> At the end of the day, EVs are a different type of product. And there's 40 different options to choose from, whether you want the super fast Roadster or you want the big truck, like a Ford F-150 Lightning or the a Chevy Silverado EV. So regardless of your political bend, if you want a really fast, super cool vehicle that is substantially cheaper to drive around than a gas-powered vehicle, an EV might be a great choice. So we think that that fact, can supersede some of the cultural and political divide uh, in terms of how folks think about it. Um, and, you know, we hope that some of the states that are a little slower to adopt, again, they're going to come along like any technology adoption life cycle, like we talked about earlier. Um, they'll be the late majority in, in some of the southern U.S. states or central U.S. states where they, they love their big trucks and they'll keep driving those big trucks but slowly their commuter vehicles and slowly their uh, service vehicles will start to shift over. Maybe it'll start with fleets first, but the EVs are coming uh, and there's sort of no arguing that. It's just yeah. a question of how. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. Okay. Well, I'm definitely excited to see how next year plans out for you. Me and too. <laughs> I'll be watching avidly from the sidelines. Uh, we always round out these episodes by getting three quick fire recommendations for you if that's okay yeah absolutely so the first one we always ask people for a people-based resource like a community or an organization that you feel has in some way supported or helped you yep uh pretty easy one for me um my climate journey is a, a podcast slack group really like an incredibly rich resource uh some of your guests have been featured on that podcast um I found a lot of value in that community, the Slack group, their local events, um, but namely the podcast. It's extremely informative for all angles of climate change. It goes deep with founders uh, and investors in a variety of subtopics. And yeah, I just really can't speak highly enough about the MCJ community. Um, they're also very cool and they get shit done. Uh, pardon my French there. But uh, they, they are operators. They're not academics. They, they get out there, they build, they invest, uh, they make stuff happen. So kudos to MCJ and everything they do. Yeah, I would absolutely second that. Fantastic. Thank you. And what media based resource that can be a book, a podcast, which you've just kind of given us a TED talk, film, anything like that? Yeah, the um, there's a book called Ministry for the Future, mm -hmm. which is somewhat of a um, dystopian future when climate change has sort of gone past the tipping point and, you know, people start to experience the actual human effects of what the future might be like when the earth heats up a couple more degrees. Um, and the punchline is it's super scary. Uh, <laughs> and if you needed a kick in the butt to kind of increase your urgency to why climate action is something worth working on. And in fact, why I would argue it's probably the problem to work on uh, for the next 10 years, you know, because of the impact if, if we don't. Um, I would highly recommend that book. Um, it is, um, just be ready. It's a little scary to hear about some of the 
the potential situations that people around the world might experience when the earth heats up. But it's a it was a really good um, eye opener for me. Uh, and it's a novel, it is, uh, is it? It is. It's uh, yeah. it's fiction. Yeah. Um, but with historical fiction is how I would describe or future fiction, I guess. <laughs> science science fiction, I guess, is the appropriate term. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, it's an eye opener. Mm, I might give that a go, although it sounds like it might just make me feel a bit scared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably a combination of both. Um, and what about a productivity tip? Is there some way, any tool you use, any methodology, anything that helps you to get stuff done? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough to, to build a company, no question about it. We also have a uh, one and a half year old. So uh, I would suggest don't have a child and start a company at the same time. But if you do, uh, make sure you have a partner uh, or family members that can support you with that and, you know, block time to be with your family. Uh, it's easy to get wrapped up and kind of go, go, go forever. But like your kids only won once. Uh, we built a snowman today. It was awesome. She yeah. loves the movie Frozen. And uh, it was worth that 45 minutes to, uh, you know, unplug and, and spend some time with family. So not a productivity tip, but sort of an anti-productivity tip. Uh, and just, you know, don't forget why we're doing this. We build to support, you know, our family. Uh, is You got to make that time. Yeah, you're right. And it can feel very all-consuming as a founder, can't it? And you can almost get this guilt that if I'm not doing something right now, I'm not being productive or I'm not pushing this forward in some way. Um, but you're right. It's so important to just close the laptop. And yeah, the be deals will be there. The, the VCs will be there, you know, next year. Uh, but yeah. If Is you're waiting world. on an email from me, please call me back before uh, January 1st. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. But you're right. Is that is the world going to end if I stop and build a snowman? Yeah, if people get it. In the future, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we can still build snowman in, in 20 years. Amazing. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate you sharing that journey with us and sharing those recommendations. Thank you to everybody that has joined us today, whether you're watching live or whether you're listening to us on Catch Up. Really appreciate you joining us. We will be back next week um, with more exciting guests for you. So come back and join us then. But until then, thank you so much and see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.